Steve, good morning. God is good. And all the time. That's right. Even in our trials, even in our troubles, even in the storms of our life, God is good all the time. Tim Tebow was a college quarterback for the University of Florida. Uh, Joey and I actually had the opportunity to, uh, to meet him and to, to see him uh, years when he was a sophomore in high school uh, as we were attending uh, First Baptist Jacksonville and the pastor's conference that we used to go to um, every year. And uh, that year they were, that Friday night, they were kind of highlighting uh, their high school ministry, and he was one of the testimonies that he shared. And man, I was just really, really just drawn to what he had to say. And then as he went on to Florida, many of you know uh, Tim Tebow was a great athlete. Uh, God had gifted him greatly, and uh, he won two national championships at Florida and also uh, was um, a Heisman Trophy winner uh, as a sophomore. And so many accomplishments uh, that he was known for that we in the college football world. But probably one of the things that he was known, he became known best was uh, the eye black that he wore under his eyes where he started to put the verses, Philippians 4.13. And then in the national championship that year, he changed it up and... Um, he put John 3.16 uh, up under his eye black. And the thing that impressed me the most about Tim Tebow and that still impresses me today when I hear him talk and when I hear him on the TV uh, is this, that he never lost sight of what he valued more than anything. You see, Tim Tebow understood that God had given him a platform through the sport of football. And now, uh, in, as a broadcaster and as an analyst uh, with uh, one of the sports stations. But he always comes back and he always takes every opportunity that he can to mention Jesus Christ. And mention that, that everything that he does, everything that... that he has gained to the University of Florida, to the college football world, and to the world today. The things that he has accomplished are great, but none of those compared to his relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, there's tangible things in our lives that we can all be thankful for that there's accomplishments that we all have in our life that we can be proud of. And in the world's sight, in, in our world, in our culture, the people around us, uh, those accomplishments bring about a lot of uh, good things, reputation, notoriety. But if that is all that they are, then those tangible things that are really not bad things, they're good things, turn into bad things when we value them more than we should. And Philippians chapter 3, that's where we're going to be at today. So Philippians chapter 3, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 14. And the Apostle Paul in verses 1 through 6, 
the Apostle Paul is warning the church at Philippi to um, be aware of these, these group of people. He calls them dogs, um, and he refers to them as evil and mutilators of the flesh. Um, they were these men that we know as the Judaizers, uh, and they were, they were Jews who uh, had a problem with Paul's ministry. They had a problem with what Paul was doing and, uh, because they thought that in order to be saved, that the Gentiles that were coming to faith in Jesus Christ needed to be circumcised. And, and so they were going about, and they were following Paul around, and they were trying to discount his ministry. And so he was telling them, and all to watch out for these guys. They're, they're religious guys. And all, they know a lot of things, but, but their attitude and their purpose is wrong. And he goes on and he says, if anyone, verse 4, if anyone thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrew in, regards, in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. And he goes on and he, he in these first verses, he says, watch out for these people. Beware of these people because they don't have great motives. And they are going to try to persuade you that what I'm sharing with you is false. When in actuality, what they're trying to share is false doctrine and not the full truth. But Paul says, and he goes on and he says, if... If anybody has a right to be confident in the things that they gain, then I have that right. And he goes on and he shares a lot of his accomplishments. But in verse 7, he takes it to the next step. And that's where we're going to start today. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, your translation may say garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, his, of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, Paul says, or have already been made perfect, but I press on toward the goal. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus and there's three things in this passage that I want to try to unpack for us today as we look at this passage about not looking back, moving forward, pressing on towards something that is bigger than ourselves. And the first thing here we see in verses 7 through 9 is what Paul valued most in his life. 
The Apostle Paul had a lot of things that he could have boasted about from a worldly point of view. He was a very smart man. He was very well looked at and from his peers. He had a great reputation. He was a very righteous man. He, he knew a lot of things. He was very well educated. He was even a very moral and good man from the world's point of view. But you see, there was a time in Paul's life when he was on his way to persecute other believers, on his way to Damascus, that Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus had changed his life forever on that encounter. And in changing Paul's life, it also changed the way that Paul viewed his life. Paul's point of view changed What was important in his life for a lot of years at that point when Christ, God changed his life on that road to Damascus. Things changed. He evaluated his life. He, he, he basically took a, a, an inventory of his life, all that he had accomplished, all that he had, And he compared it not to other people's accomplishments. And so many times, one of the things that we we do as, as, as young people, as adults, is we take the things that we've accomplished, the things that we're good at, the things that our reputation, and we usually compare it to people who are not better than ourselves. They're, they're not more mature in their faith. They're not more accomplished in the world's eyes and all and it makes us feel good and so we it's a self-righteousness and all to to lift ourselves up and all so that we can feel good about ourselves but he took an inventory of his life he took every all of his accomplishments all of his education everything that he had always known And he compared it not to other people, but he compared it to his life now, and he compared it to Jesus. And this is what he saw. He realized that what his accomplishments were, were great in the eyes of men. But that life compared to the life that he had now in Christ Jesus was nothing. It meant nothing. Compared to his life now with Jesus. He says, but for whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, a lot of that, all that stuff was good and, and I could use it. He, he didn't forsake it, but he used it in a way to glorify God in his life instead of bringing righteousness and glorification to himself. You see, very few people today will sit down and weigh out the values that control their decisions and their direction in life. How many times have you sat down yourself and you weighed out how your value, the things that you value and how they control your decisions that you make every day? Or the direction that you have in your life with your profession? You see, far too many people, and even in the church, they don't experience real Christian joy because they become a slave to things. For so long in his life, Paul was a slave to the things in his life. 
the accomplishments, which were not bad in and of itself, but compared to now his life and his faith in Jesus Christ. How many times, you know, there's so many things that rob us of our joy. People, we allow people to rob us of our joy. We allow things to rob us of our joy. You see, the accumulation of things and the things that we possess are not the things that bring us true, lasting joy. That only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And just as Paul evaluated his life to see what mattered most to him and what was most important, maybe it's time for us as individuals to evaluate our lives to see what matters most and what was most important. Paul had a lot of things going for him before he came to faith in Jesus Christ in the eyes of men. He was well respected. He had just enough morality to keep him from getting in trouble. But as Warren Wiersbe said, he didn't have the righteousness, enough righteousness to keep him in the, from getting to heaven. He had just enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but he didn't have enough righteousness to keep him or to get him to heaven. Why? Because that righteousness can only come through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we see the thing that Paul valued most in his life. He valued his relationship with Jesus Christ more than anything that he had ever accomplished. It mattered most to him to the point that he says, I consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of his own, but having a righteousness that is by faith in Jesus Christ. There was a time where Paul understood that all the righteousness that he had in his life, but he was still spiritually bankrupt. And the only way that that could change was when God imputed Christ's righteousness in his life when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, when he had that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So we see what Paul, Paul valued. The second thing we see here in verses 10 through 11 was what Paul longed for, what he wanted in his life. More than anything else, Paul wanted to know Christ deeply, not just in his head, but more importantly, in his soul, in his heart. And it can only come through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ because Paul knew a lot about the Scriptures. You have to understand, we're reading here in the New Testament, but all that they had then was the Old Testament. Paul knew the law. He knew it backwards and forwards. He knew it better than anybody around him. He could debate it with the best of them. But that wasn't what, Christ, what Paul wanted more than anything. That's not what he longed for. He wanted to know Christ intimately. He wanted to know Christ in a way that can only come through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That in a relationship that he had now. Before, Christ, before Paul knew Christ personally as his Savior, Paul's religion was just a set of rules. It was all about a set of rules. 
about this, the, the do's and don'ts. But now, he knew Jesus more as a master, more as a friend. And that his religion wasn't about a set of rules, but his faith in Jesus Christ, his personal relationship, gained him a friend. He says, I wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow to attain resurrection from the dead. The power of Christ's resurrection that Paul longed for can be seen in Galatians when he writes in Galatians 2, uh, verse 20, he said, when he says this, for, excuse me, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, that Christ died for nothing. Paul understood the, the power. He was starting to understand. He was starting to, to see, to glimpse the power of Christ's resurrection and the importance of that in a believer's life. He shares this with the Ephesians in, the, in Ephesians chapter 3. He says this, I ask you, therefore, do not, be, not to be discouraged because of your, my sufferings, which are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father, for whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that being rooted and established in love may power together with all the saints to grasp, understand this. He wanted to understand how to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Paul understood the power of Christ's resurrection. Now he was able to experience on a daily basis. And it was continuing to change him. It was continuing to give him courage and continuing to give him boldness. To continue to share the gospel even when people didn't want him to. Even to peep two people that they didn't want him to share with. But he goes on, not just, he didn't want to know Christ deeply in his soul. He didn't want to just know Christ and the power of his resurrection, but he wanted to know Christ and the sharing of his sufferings. Paul, once the great persecutor of the church, learned what it meant to be persecuted. If you go back and you, you read Paul's uh, conversion experience in Acts chapter 9, God tells Ananias, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we know throughout the scriptures how much Paul suffered for the sake of Christ. That he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned multiple times for the sake of Christ. But when Paul did an inventory of his life and he says, all right, all of this is going on, but hey, you know what? It's worth it to me. All that, all that 
I go through, all that I know, all the suffering that I, I've gone through, all the suffering that I will ever go through is worth it and all because of Jesus Christ. It's what he longed for, what he wanted in his life more than anything. was He wanted to know Christ intimately. And I ask you today, church visitors, Do you just want to know about Christ here? Are you satisfied and content with just knowing Christ in your mind? Or do you, do you really want to know him deep down in your heart? Do you want to know the depths of Christ's love for you? Do you want to know how deep and wide God's love goes? Because when the desire of our heart is that we grow deeply and intimately with him and in that relationship, then our lives and our values change tremendously. The things that, that men say that you need to have to have a great reputation, to have a wonderful life, don't mean anything if we don't have Christ. says, I want to, do you want to know Christ to the point where you have to suffer and you, you suffer for the name of Christ? Will you serve him? Do you love him in such a way? Do you long to have that relationship with Christ that, hey, that you may suffer And is it worth it? Paul said it was worth it. Which brings us to our third thing. We see that Paul, what Paul's outlook was in his life. What Paul looked forward to in his life in verses 12 through 14. He said, I'm going to read it again. Not that I've already obtained it or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ, God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul realized that even where he was in his faith at this point, he had not obtained perfection yet. He still had a long way to go. But it wasn't going to stop him from continuing to share what he already knew. And that was that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change anyone's life who will come to faith in Christ. He looked forward to that day when he would receive his reward. And he wasn't looking back either. So many times we as believers in Christ, we as, as, as just people and all, we tend to allow Satan to help us to look back and cause us to look back on where all of our failures and all the times that we've, we've fallen. And it keeps us from being all that Christ wants us to be and from sharing 
with everyone that Christ wants us to share with. But not only our thoughts, sometimes going back and looking at our accomplishments causes us to rest on those our laurels of that and all so we don't press on we don't push through and all to continue to grow in our relationship with christ we rest on the past instead of pressing on toward the future no matter how successful we may be in the eyes of men we can't receive the reward that god has for us unless we take hold of that which christ jesus took hold of us you know, and in this last year at Crossroads, man, we've, we've had some exciting times. And we've seen, we've seen a lot of people this last year. If we, want to, if we want to look at previous years, we've seen a lot of people come to faith in Jesus Christ to go through the waters of baptism. But you know what? I believe God has more for us. And if we rest on, on, if we become content and satisfied where we're at now, we will never press forward and be the church that God wants us to be and has placed us to be in this community. So we press forward. We enjoy the goodness of God in the past, but we don't look back and we don't rest on it. We look forward. Why? Why? Because there are still lives in this community who have yet to place their faith in Jesus Christ. There are lives in this community. There's people in this community who still know, need to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's still people who need to know that there's hope for their life. That they don't have to take their life. They don't have to drown their life in substance abuse. But there's hope for all of that. And his name is Jesus. And we have him in our hearts. And God wants us to do everything that we can to allow God to use us to reach this community. Next week's an exciting week. It's an exciting day in the life of our church as we take the next step in being the church that God has placed us to be here in this community under our new leadership with Pastor Jack. So I ask you, what do you long for in your life? What do you value most in your life? What do you look forward to most in your life? Everything that Paul looked forward to after his conversion with Christ was all about a spiritual mind and not a worldly mind. Not only did he look forward to seeing other people come to faith in Jesus Christ, but he looked forward to the prize that he would gain one day when he met Christ. Today, Crossroads, let's not look back. Let's press forward. Let's put the pedal to the metal. And let's go and give all that we can, all that we are, so that others will know the hope that we know in the relationship of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. 
Lord, I thank you for this time of worship. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge that it has given us today. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement that it has been to uh, some folks in here today. So, Father, today I pray that during this time of response, Lord, if there's a decision that, that we need to make, if, Lord, your spirit is moving in our hearts to make a decision or to get right with you or to simply just give our lives to you for the very first time, Lord, I pray that we would do that in complete surrender and full obedience to the greatness of the God who loves us and gave his son to die for us on the cross. In your name we pray, amen. As Steve leads us in all, this is a time of response for us to respond to the word of God. How has God spoken to you today? And if he's, if he's leading you, to respond in any way possible. Maybe you want to come and you've got, you've got people in your life, that one person that you've just been praying for, that you've been loving on, and yet you've had some gospel conversations with them, but yet they've not trusted Jesus with their life. You just want to, you've just got a burden you want to pray for them. And I'll, you come down to the altar, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe today, your next step in obedience is this. You're saved, you're a believer, but you've never followed up in believer's baptism. Maybe today your decision is that you want to become a part of this fellowship and be a part of what God is getting ready to do in a huge, huge way. Let's stand. You respond as we sing. <laughs> Just as I am.